Hello and welcome to another episode of Laps Gamer Radio. I'm your host Stuart Neil, and tonight I am joined by very special guest Ben Powell. Hi Ben. Hello. Ben, we have invited you on uh, just as a an indie developer and things. I've been following you on Twitter for a little while and I know that recently you have released your very first properly sold game on Steam um, just at the end of September there. Uh, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Just from your about me, your name Ben Powell, you're a games developer based in Newport UK and have been making games since 2008. How did you first start getting into game development then? It took a long time for me to figure out that game development was actually a valid career that I could go into. Uh, it sounds silly, but you, I never made the connection growing up that you know playing games, you could make them. Uh, now, now these days, I think everyone seems to know, but I wasn't, I wasn't clued up in it at the time. And so mostly the things I was doing growing up was messing around with the sort of things that I had around me, like pen and paper and Pokemon cards and, and toy trucks and whatever I had. Was, I, I kept finding myself making these little games out of them. Which slowly went on to, you know, once I, I had a computer and I went online, I got very much into the Half-Life modding scene. Yeah. I got very much into certain mods, uh, like Zombie Panic, I was, I was closely involved with them. And uh, sort of getting involved in the Half-Life 2 modding scene, that was that was a big sort of uh, introduction to making games. Mm-hmm. And from there, I sort of uh, grew into thinking of, of, okay, I'm going to learn, I'm going to learn C++, I'm going to learn the program, I'm going to learn to make games. And... If I can, if I can learn to, you know, program games, I can get a job in the industry somehow. Yeah. So, do you don't actually have any formal qualifications, or was that something that then you chased up? Uh, I have a, a university degree uh, in computer science. Oh, okay. And I was definitely while I was there, I was definitely I was in the sort of middle of this realizing that the career could be game development phase. So I was sort of, you know, when they were teaching code there, I was sort of beginning to put together. You know, basic little games. Mm. So certainly, my programming started in in university, but it definitely, it wasn't really part of what the university was teaching. It was my own sort of self, you know, little projects. Yeah, I almost sort of like a self education and what have you. Yeah, definitely. University of Google. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, from there, then you um, started taking part in various game jams and things, um, particularly the Ludum Dare. From your website and what have you, you've done quite a few games um, that were part of that. Yeah, yeah, I think I've taken a part since, oh, I said I've done them since 2008, I must, I think, how old am I? <laughs> I'm 29 now. So yeah, since I was like 20, 22, something like that. Um, so yeah, Ludum Day was definitely a big uh, a big influence, definitely. It was, it was another one of these things where through Ludum Day I met other indie developers and realized that indie could be a career instead of just working at a game company mm-hmm. and that was sort of that gave me the ambition to do indie things before i got any game job i was doing that to sort of keep myself going while i was getting the the the, the c plus plus knowledge to go and do you know a, a more hardcore intense programming job yeah What's it like working on those sort of game jams? I know some of them and what have you are more sort of like a sociable meetup sort of thing. Um, and then, then there's some of the hackathons and what have you. Uh, does Ludum Dare work that way or is it a, a different beast? Whereas you, you, it's more just sort of sending in submissions and things. It's definitely, I think, you know, a lot of people do it socially. I've always found that when I've done these things, like gone to Cambridge to do a jam or something like that, I've, I've been less successful and more just enjoying the event, but less... I don't get as strong a product out at the end, but uh-huh. you know, at home really, of when it was when I've done my best work. But uh, I think that varies for everyone. Maybe I'm just too distracted, yeah. <laughs> just enjoying the trip too much. 
Yeah. I suppose the benefit of the sort of the more social meetups and things is maybe a little bit more of the sort of shared learning um, experience and things like that. Oh, yeah. It was definitely very important to me. You know, I went, uh, basically, I went to Cambridge for a few little days and I got to stay with a few indies uh, like, like Terry Kavanagh uh, while they were doing little day. And it mm-hmm. was just staying in a in a place where free indies are all doing their own thing. Even over the weekend, I did that like a couple of times, and it was just really, uh, it really was very inspiring to me. I'm sure it would be, especially with working beside Terry Kavanaugh. Yeah, yeah, they had the really cool, um, on the wall, they had everyone cut out little paper shapes, you know, it was really covered in, they had, they had loads of visitors all the time, and I was mm-hmm. just one of them. Um, so <laughs> it was cute. really nice, I think they must have inspired a lot of people from that little place in, in Cambridge. Yeah, wow. From there, then, you went on to joining Team 17. Yeah. How did that job opportunity come about? Well, I was doing this indie thing while deciding, oh, okay, I need to learn enough C++ to get the job. Because first of all, I didn't know that I didn't know enough. I did university. I was like, oh, university has C++. It's yeah. not enough. It's nowhere near enough. You you have to learn a lot more. And I had my first sort of bombed interview to figure that out. Uh, and that was at the creative assembly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was that was a hard that was a hard lesson. You know, that was a big. I need to learn a lot more. And it took it took a good few years before I got a job at Team Seventeen. Okay. So I spent a lot of time sort of hitting the C plus plus books and learning how to pass the tests and that kind of thing. Just getting yeah. good enough to be the junior programmer for C plus um, plus. But when I applied at Team Seventeen, you know, I applied at loads of places, but I applied to Team Seventeen, and I. Um, that time I had made a flash version of the game that I'm now currently selling mm-hmm. and I sent the flash version back then it was called equilibrium and I sent it to you know my manager so it seems to me the the you know as part of the job application and he said yeah. he played it and he admitted that he played it a bit too much so in a way I think that 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 early version got me sort of hired at, at team 17 that's one of the things that I've found whenever I've been talking to um, a lot of the games developers in Northern Ireland. All of them will always recommend, particularly if you're still in college or university sort of studying uh, games development, what have you. But if you are enthused enough, um, it's always working on your own little projects outside of the, uh, the sort of educational hours as such. And having something to show employers whenever you actually get to the stage of getting an interview and things is worth an awful lot more than just having a qualification as such yeah definitely i mean I, I can't speak for modern games courses i'm sure that they you know i'm sure a decent one would probably encourage you to do that to make games and have a portfolio yeah. but it's definitely to me i mean it's two parts it's the portfolio and it's also do you know the specific thing that you're if you're going to work at a company you know you need to know your c plus plus or you need to know you need to be you know your art or you need to know you know your specific Subject that is the, the slight difference between indie games, I think, and, and uh, companies. You have to specialize to a certain extent, but definitely you need that that portfolio to stand out. Because just graduating alone, that that definitely won't cut it. Yeah. Whenever you were working at Team Seventeen, then what games were you working on? Uh, well, I'm only on the credits of uh, Worms Revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about that one. That was the one where they went back to 2D after the 3D things. But yeah. I was there fairly late on that. I, I um. You know, I worked there for, for like 10 months. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went through like release and chipping of that and went through and fixing, you know, lots of bugs. And uh, I, I worked a lot on the level editor as well. So that was very mm-hmm. interesting. Got a lot of, got a lot of quick, it was a very quick sort of insight into a lot of what it's like to be at a company. Cause it's definitely very different to anything indie. You know, in indie, you're sort of having to convince yourself that you're a valid game developer. But when you're working somewhere like that, it's like, oh, everyone's really, you know, this is real. Yeah. <laughs> 
what roles then, apart from sort of the bug fixing and things, um, were you doing at Team 7 Team? Uh, well, I, I, guess I was a junior programmer, so I was basically whatever they were telling me to do, which was, it was pretty okay. much, at that time, they were, it was fix, mostly fixing bugs, uh, because it was, you know, preparing to ship the game. And um, working on the helping out on the level editor, mm-hmm. and other than that, it was sort of helping out with doing the porting to mobile devices and things like that. Although they didn't like that kind of thing, but you know, it was it was it was quite good. It was mostly on the, the web side of it. Yeah, how valuable was that experience for you? I think it was more validating because from then I felt like I was trying to be a game developer. You know, with my jams and my things, and when I got hired and I was able to work somewhere. Yeah, uh, it gives you enough sort of confidence. To say, okay, I am, I am actually a game developer. I don't have to prove it to anyone anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely very good to get an insight into, you know, the way that other people work and how how sort of the the social structure that comes into play when you work at a company. Mm-hmm. Was it about ten months then? You were at Team Seventeen in total. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I think it was nine months, and then yeah, I spent a year in Yorkshire basically. Oh, okay. The obvious question then is, why did you decide to go solo as a games developer? Well, uh, like I said before, I got the job there. You know, when I went to Cambridge and 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 I met the the other indies, that sort of got my indie juices flowing. And while I was at Team Seventeen, I was very much pro, and I was still doing the jams and talking about the jams while I was there. Mm-hmm. So it was very much a sort of that was that was definitely in me the entire time I was there. So basically, after I left, I was just like, oh well, it's back to back to independent now and then I sort of uh, decided to commit to a project mm. Well I suppose one of the biggest steps for anybody sort of looking to go as an indie developer then is just the financial side of it um, so did you have any financial backing as a solo developer or was it just basically working on your own and just sort of making ends made as such? To be honest with you I really made a lot of mistakes, I sh- you know I went independent in a way that oh I don't have a job I should go independent now, you shouldn't do that I didn't have the money to support myself. I ended up moving back home and relying on my family to keep me supported. So really, that's not I'm not financially sustained. sustained. Mm-hmm. So in terms of recommending that to anyone else, I can't really. Yeah, It's definitely be prepared to not make any money for years if you, if you mm-hmm. want to go independent. You have to have enough to sustain yourself for years or to have someone else sustain you. Yeah, that's one of the things that um, definitely came out whenever we were speaking to um, a Canadian developer, um, Kevin Jaguar. He'd been working on um, a particular project for at least sort of five years and what have you, and basically doing web development and things as a, his other sort of more part-time job as such, as well as working on his own project. And one of the things that he was saying was that it was really a very much a sort of scrimping and saving um, whenever he could, uh, just to make sure that he had enough money to keep his project going. Yeah, I was lucky. I was lucky that I had someone else to sustain me because otherwise I would have had to do the same and it would have been even harder. Yeah. So you released uh, your game, Operator Overload, at the end of September this year. Uh, tell us about the game. Sure. It's a, it's a puzzle game. It's an abstract puzzle game that I worked on for three and a half years. Uh, I had the original concept flash game that I made in a month. That was the one That one that I made in a month was the one that got me hired at Team 17. Mm-hmm. After I quit, I'd uh, I tried a bunch of different things, and eventually I got to the point where I said, "Okay, I just need to make a game. I'm going with this this puzzle game. I reckon I can make it decent." And then, you know, you think, "Oh, I can make it in a year," mm-hmm. but then you get you know the sort of ideas start coming in, and I wanted to make it look 
visually good and I wasn't I'm not a visual person at all I'm not an artist I would say mm-hmm. so a lot of that time I think was spent sort of learning how to make a solo game in terms of filling in the gaps of the things that I couldn't do mm-hmm. and that was quite tricky but yeah I guess that's more talking about the game than, than what the game is it's a uh, <laughs> it's a puzzle game uh, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to sort of it's, it's a game that's hard to pitch because mm-hmm. it's just a game where it's, it's a very simple type of puzzle game where you sort of connect these lines to these these goals and a big part of what I was doing when I made it was I wanted people to just figure out how to play it by mm-hmm. playing it so that's I think that's a bit of a hard sell because I'm basically saying try it and find out yeah which you know with some girls if you've got if you've got like a big budget like the witness or something you could probably do that but with mine it's sort of like it, I think that's I think I've made it a bit more difficult myself for that mm-hmm. is there anything that you would compare it to I, I did mention the witness, and I don't mean the witness in terms of like, if it's like if the witness had a way non-existent budget, and you just went, okay, we've got to skip the whole island thing out and just make puzzles. Yeah. And I have you know a certain amount of you know I have level selects and world selects and things to sort of give you a structure over that, but you know it's 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 that sort of very abstract. Figure out how to solve the problem. It's I would say it's sort of a twist on the. I talk about the laser mirror type of puzzle games, but yeah. it's a bit of a twist on that because it's those just directly bounce like ninety degrees. It's it's, it's kind of tricky to explain. Yeah, fair enough. One of the things is that you chose to self-publish the title on Steam as well. Had you approached any publishers before deciding to go self-publishing, or was that always your intent? I didn't intentionally approach any publishers. I talked to other indies at the time who'd had publishers about their experiences and my my feeling with publishers I probably could have could have done better with one but I can't mm-hmm. tell you whether it was a mistake not to yet okay I get the feeling like I always was of the mental argument that if if a publisher approaches you then you probably don't need them mm-hmm. and if you approach them they probably don't need you yeah <laughs> yeah it's a very awkward balance is probably the best way of looking at it yeah, so I can't really say if I'm right on that, but uh, it's it's very hard then to judge whether or not you should get a publisher. I, I went with not, whether mm. that's a mistake, or if I should have taken that as an indication of how people felt about the game, that there wasn't a publisher trying to get on board. That's that's some other things to think about. Yeah. It's definitely a thing where I wouldn't just jump on, you know, because basically I do have a publisher. That publisher is Steam. Yeah. But they do not, you know, the marketing on Steam has fallen off because of how many games are on there. Yeah, it's in around sort of 200-ish, um, sort of over or under that, a week. Um, basically, um, I get the, I'm on a mailing list or whatever that uh, sends out sort of like a full list of all the games. And yeah, it's scary numbers. <laughs> so it is um, for anybody wanting uh, to release a game on Steam and just gain that little bit of visibility because unless you're reasonably popular or a big enough title you're not even really going to be appearing on the new releases um certainly on the home page but even on the sort of the first page of the new releases list uh, unless you're very very lucky i wouldn't rely on that you can't rely on that alone not, not yeah. anymore you just really you have to pretend that you've released it under a bit of a rock yeah We'll go on to then publishing the game on steam so as far as i can tell steam is the only place that it's currently available yeah had you considered setting up like an HIO page um, for your work and a sell operator overload through? I had, but the thing is, 
during development, I sort of uh, I made the whole all the levels in the game were made with the in-game level editor that I mm -hmm. created with the idea that oh, I should be able to make the game in the game. Kind of weird ambition I had. And uh, then I came to the point where I put in the Steam Workshop in with being um, able okay. to make your own levels. So uh, anyone who makes their own levels can upload them through the Steam Workshop and play the ones other people have made. All right, okay. And if I sell uh, on itch, I won't have that functionality. Yeah, so it'll be more just as a, a standalone game that isn't customizable then? Yeah, so I was a bit stuck in the situation of, okay, do I put it on itch, but it has less functionality? Do I sell it for less? Because that's, that's against the rules of selling a game on Steam, to sell it somewhere else for less. Yeah. So what do I do here? You know, that, That's the sort of situation I found myself caught in. Mm -hmm. uh, so I haven't put it on itch yet. And I don't have a, a a real good solution for that problem. Maybe you know, maybe one day, maybe when the game's dropped in price in the future, or when I have a, a complete finished version, I might put out a finished version with a bunch with a bunch of levels that other people have already made. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's what's the hold up really on on. Otherwise, I would just put it on it straight away. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say with the the other free games, what have you then that you've actually created um, as part of the, the game jams and things. Um, they're just hosted on your own website as well. Have you thought about potentially putting them on DH as they are, um, without necessarily including operator overload? Uh, well, definitely. I've put like I've put some on on congregating things. Oh, okay. You know, I did a lot of that before uh, before I worked at Team Seventeen, and uh, mm. I, I actually had one or two jam games that got. Uh, I think Armor Games asked me to sponsor to, to for them to sponsor those games and put them on the website. Oh, okay. So I did make a little bit of money before I got to Team 17 from that. Yeah. Which was really good because it felt like it was, it was quite a lot of money for two weekends' work. You know, $1,000 <laughs> for two weekends' work. No, no, that's it. That's all you get. <laughs> yeah. How much background administration work on your side is involved then in getting a game released on Steam? I'd say it's not much more than getting a job. Oh, okay. I mean, you have to provide, like, tax information. Mm-hmm. If you were incorporated, you know, if you if, if I formed a company, then possibly that would be a lot more. Yeah. But I didn't, uh, because I figured out, basically, I thought, if I don't make much, it works out best if I'm not incorporated. Yeah. At least, you know, here. I, I can't speak for other countries, obviously. Mm, yeah. Um, one of the other things, then, that I'd noticed you querying on Twitter um, before the release was how much you're actually going to sell the game for. Um, you'd asked for a little bit of advice as well. How did you settle on the current price of it, uh, which is £10 um, pounds in Britain? 9 99 here, 12 99 in the US. Yeah. I'd already kind of sort of settled on it by that time, but I still asked people just to sort of get a, get the questions out there to see how other people, you know, test the room. The room. Mm -hmm. I can't really say I got much feedback from that. So, but I got the feeling like I was looking at other games, seeing what they were selling at, and it's it's a tough game you have to play. We have to say, you know, you have to measure the value of your work. Yeah. And you know, if if I was selling on mobile, I couldn't get anywhere near that price, and I, that's quite a strange mystery to me. I think why why does it, you know, it's such a low value on mobile, and I feel like you have to sort of have a bit of a higher price to prevent mm -hmm. that situation occurring, mm -hmm. to like sort of give people's work value you know i don't want i don't want to if i go too low i'm i mean implying that my work doesn't have value yeah that was going to be my next question then was that do you think that some developers are undervaluing their work um but purely in the hope of making it almost like a an impulse buy price well they're just trying to do what they think is best 
Yeah. So, you know, I don't I don't blame anyone for selling at a low price. I just think you know, it it, it, it you gotta watch out that we're gonna go on a race to the bottom and that well, it's I'm I'm already in a position where it's not financially sustainable, but we'll get like that even more so. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's like a collective responsibility, I think. Mm. Do you think mobile has played a part in that race to the bottom? I'm not sure. I haven't made a, a mobile game because I think it would be even more difficult than what I've already done mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, getting anyone to play it. Yeah. So I I get a feeling that, you know, did mobile lower the market? Why? I get a feeling it's part of the nature of when you play a game on a phone. It's it's, it's a weird psychological thing. It's like when, because when, I've also had this opinion, I forgot about this, but I remember now when I was doing the pricing as well, that I felt like, by pricing it at this price, when someone pays to play your game, they have a bit of an investment into it. I don't know if you notice this when you have a free game or when you when you buy a brand new game. But when you buy a brand new game, I think people get a little bit more like, oh, I have to give this game the the reasonable amount of time to justify the money I've paid. Yeah. And that if you have something for free, you'll just you'll value it as as worth less. Mm-hmm. And you have to. So it, basically, I had the impression that if I sold it for a bit more, that uh, I would get people. The people who would play it would be more inclined to, I think, like it or take it seriously or give it the time that I hope you know it deserves. Mm-hmm. And I think that did kind of come out a bit in the in the results. You know, I think if I sold it for a dollar, I think I'd have a lot more, maybe a lot more reviews and a lot more sales. But I'd also have a lot more negative. And at the moment, I don't actually have any negative Steam reviews. Oh, that's good going, sort of. So, it's hard to say. Yeah. How is the how's the game been selling for you? So I released it on the twenty eighth of September. Today is the twentieth of November, and I think as of yesterday or this morning, I've sold about a hundred and fifteen copies. Okay, that's to an extent that's not bad going. Uh, that's what. Um, you know, 115 copies over, well, not quite two months, um, but about 50 copies a month for a game that probably hasn't had an awful lot of coverage is probably not the easiest to find on Steam unless you actually know that it's there. Um, that's not too bad. How do you, What do you think about those results? Are you happy with those? Well, yeah, I, I am. I'm happy with any sales. I'm, I'm a yeah. bit unhappy that I... With like any sort of coverage, like I didn't have any media coverage. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, I sent it to a load of places. They said, "Hey, thanks for it. I'll check it out." Nothing really came of it. I can't blame those people. There's so many games that come out. A lot. Of, I think Cuphead came out like the next day. Oh, <laughs> that was rough. <laughs> yeah, really. I think it's 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 the difficulty of getting people to see your game and find out it exists that I. That I'm having trouble with. I mean, I've I've been I've I've had this thought for a long time that basically, you know, when I say I've sold hundred and something copies, do have I sold those because every person in every country has seen this game and gone, no, I don't want to buy it, or do mm-hmm. they just don't know it exists? Yeah. And I think people just don't know it exists. There'll be a certain amount that don't know it exists. There'll be a certain amount for the price, mm-hmm. and there'll be a certain amount that just don't like the game. Yeah. So it it's a bit difficult because I can't be subjective about my own product. I can't say. You know, this game's great. Well, I, you know, I, I can say that, but that doesn't necessarily make it true. Yeah. I think I did pretty good with it. Mm-hmm. I think people have liked it, the people who've played it and bought it. Mm-hmm. The only negative feedback I kind of, kind of get when I send it to people is that they're not into puzzle games. And yeah, if you're, okay. not, if you're not into puzzle games when I send it to you, yeah, that's kind of going to be a problem. <laughs> yes. So it's hard to say 
you know, maybe I just spent too long on it. Maybe I just haven't done the networking. You know, I, 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 I pushed kind of a lot on, you know, I feel like I've gotten any kind of sales I've gotten through pushing hard online, like Twitter and things. Yeah. You know, my, my launch tweet has like 150 retweets. Okay. That's not too bad, girl. You know, and I gained like 100 and something followers immediately after launching it. Mm-hmm. But those metrics are still quite low. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, yes. Yeah, if, if if you look at the Twitter analytics and you say, okay, I've got 40,000 impressions on this, so, you know, it's loads, and, but that leads to less than 100 sales. You need a lot of people to see that your game exists. Yeah, because it's really only a tiny percentage of those people will actually click on the link or whatever that's in that and then have a look at the game and then potentially buy it. Um, so yeah, your percentages keep decreasing at every step of people um, seeing that original tweet and things like that. Yes, yeah, so if you don't get uh, YouTubers, because it's a puzzle game, it's not YouTuber-friendly, really. Yeah. You know, I don't think people stream themselves going, oh, I'm stuck on a puzzle, this is difficult. It's not a horror game, it doesn't jump out and scare them. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's not the best game for doing reaction videos to. It's probably the best best way of looking at it. So in that way, I think I've definitely, you know, I would say these are sort of mistakes. Is the kind of mistakes I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about. You know, marketing and whether this game would sell. I think a lot of people, a lot of indies, and a lot of us are of the opinion that as long as your game is good, it will sell. Yeah, it's definitely an awful lot harder than that. Yeah, it's definitely a thing of marketing. You know, it is, when we talk about success, we're talking about money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sustainability, and that's something I've had to sort of come a bit more mm-hmm. to terms with. Certainly, I've spoken to other developers, and they've said that unless you're really thinking about the advertising and the marketing, at least sort of six months um, before you're actually ready to release and what have you, the chances of getting any sort of ground on the release date and from then forward is very very slim even with the sort of general word of mouth and what have you it takes quite a special game or a game that just sort of grabs people um to get any sort of traction um like that yeah definitely i think you know i've been messing around with new things to do next and it's definitely in my mind i'm thinking will this grab people and it's got to be something that grabs people yeah it just can't be average it can't be or it can't be slightly uninteresting looking because it has to it just really has to get them immediately yeah with respect to social media and other social platforms and things are they playing a lot much larger part um in games advertising and marketing now um compared to say the more traditional media of say magazines um or even say tv um advertisements and things well basically all of all of what i've gotten has come from online yeah I haven't really managed to secure any magazines or, you know, big publications giving me articles, so I don't have a comparison point to tell you. I had an article of Indie Static once uh, uh, where I was doing a sort of little bundle thing of my jam games to sell. Oh, okay. That resulted in zero sales. Oh. <laughs> so I can say there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees in anything that we do that they'll lead to sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, people always say, "Oh, magazines are a, a dying industry." So, I reckon you probably would land some sales, but I don't know how many. I couldn't tell you. Yeah. If if someone's listening, who knows? Tweet tweet at me. I want to know. <laughs>
So outside of um, operator overload and even just trying to sort of um, push that just whenever you can, what's the next thing on your to-do list and are you already working on your next project? I do have another project I'm working on, but I'm also rather in my mind operator overloads, you know, lack of success Mm -hmm. and my sort of financial dependencies on others. So I am also peeking at the job listings a little bit. Okay. So I might have to do, you know, I might try and work somewhere at another game company. I'll I'll still be doing games either way, but I might go, I might have a little stint back at a company again, possibly. I'm definitely in the time where I'm deciding that now. Yeah. Unless this interview gets me a thousand sales, and I'm ready. If you do that, I'm going indie. You want the next game? You know what to do, listener. That's what you got to do. I... I'd love to say, I, I would love to say that uh, this interview will gain you a thousand sales, but I'm not entirely sure. We don't even have a thousand um, people following us on Podbean as yet, so uh, we're, we're, we're probably a little bit far away from that as well. In a month's time, I'll tell you, I'll tell you if I've uh, had a change in sales. This, this podcast has caused exactly 17 sales or something like that. <laughs> well, Hopefully, I we will have the podcast out next Monday. So any sales after that are definitely a direct result of this podcast, <laughs> unless something else happens on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, that's all the questions I have. Uh, so it's Ben. Um, so I'd just like to thank you very much for coming on to the show. Oh yeah, it's been um, fun. Yeah. Um, whenever we do an interview, um, sort of after our little section of questions and things, we always sort of give it over to yourselves to promote um everything, which obviously includes operator overload, but also let you give shout outs to any other sort of little projects or developers or things, um, that you think deserve as just as much attention. I think I'm going to give it to uh Midboss's recent update. I'm going to tell Mid uh, go check out Midboss. Oh, okay. The creator has worked very hard on it. She's just put out a big update. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's where I'm going to direct my shout-outs. Um, for yourself, then, how do people get in contact with you? Me, Twitter, really. Uh, you know, I mean, you can email me. My website has all the information about contacting me as well, email. Uh, but I check Twitter all the time, really. Uh, Twitter mm-hmm. is where I am at. If I, if I get messages on Twitter, I know. But uh, email is also very valid, and that's on my website. What's your Twitter handle? At BenPow. At B-E-N-N-P-O-W-E-L-L. I've got a little blue avatar with me on a computer and a cat. <laughs> <laughs> What's your cat called? Uh, her name's Kitty McMeowmeow Whiskerfish. <laughs> I, I, I put her in a flash game. I, uh, there was a flash game where you're a little green rectangle, and at the end of the game, you reveal your secret identity, and it's just a photograph of my cat. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I had a great uh, comment response to it. And I kept a bookmark of it that uh, it was this sort of big rant about how terrible I was because I made the ending that it was my cat. (laughs) You know, if I could have more trolls like that, that that entertained me. Thank you very much, Ben, for coming on. And uh, it's been lovely chatting to you. Nice being on. Yeah. Uh, so from me and uh, the rest of the crew and what have you, you can get in touch with us through the usual method. You can get us on Twitter at LapsGamer and you can go to our website and read any of our articles, uh, which is www.lapsedgamer.com. Uh, so for this episode, thank you very much and goodbye. Bye.